What do you do? I'm a writer, a putter, a podcaster, and a theoretical philosopher. But above all, I am a man, a hopelessly inquisitive man, just like you. Let's master mini golf on the podcast. Ahoy, I'm Tom, and I go by Mr. T as well. I'm just about recovered from the masters of mini golf down in Myrtle Beach and a very long year of putting outdoors that includes 7 AMA events, a putt-putt event, and a couple of trips overseas. We'll talk more about the masters and some more mini golf in a bit, but you can find all the mini golf designs, reviews, and more for myself and the pink putter at a couple and on social media at couple putts. I have far too many posts to share from this year and hopefully I'll get caught up on both of them in my personal. If you're looking for course and whole design work, you can check out minigolfdesigners.com and you can buy some fun merch over at minigolfgoods.com. I'm Pat, the co-founder of the Minigolf website and social media conglomerate, The Putting Penguin. And while I'm a little sad that my outdoor competitive season's pretty much at an end, it's hard to be too down when the leaves are changing, there's a chill in the air, and Halloween's right around the corner. So let us know if you're doing anything mini golf related in your Halloween decorations or costumes this year. Hit us up on Facebook with some comments. We have a skeleton putting in our front yard, and in the past I've known at least one kid who's gone dressed up as a holy moly champion, which of course wouldn't be me because <laughs> I would have only done it if I had actually won something. But you can find all of our Penguin mini golf antics by looking for Putting Penguin on most of the major social media outlets, or you can visit us at theputtingpenguin.com. And while you're out there scrolling, don't forget to follow the podcast mini accounts. Then finally, since you're clearly in love with our podcast, make sure you're liking, subscribing, and giving us a great review wherever you choose to listen to podcasts. And once again, you know that this is the official podcast of the American Mini Golf Alliance, the AMA. You know that both Pat and I are two of the co-founders of this organization that we founded to help grow the game of mini golf in all its many forms across the U.S., we have a number of membership cards to get out yet this year, and we'll be sending out membership cards for this year, probably a little bit into November as we talk about some of our final events of the season. We'll make sure that everybody gets them, and we're going to be busy scheduling already the calendar for 2024 and excited for that. And you can become a member for free over at amaminigolf.com. And the reason that our membership is free is thanks to our sponsor, Walkabout Mini Golf, who will be giving a shout out later. But right now, I just want to say shout out to them for the Hello Real Grip to Putt Putter that has been a welcome addition as my outdoor mini golf season has already ended and my walkabout game is already getting dialed in. Uh, and this, and the reason that I'm dialing it in is because the AMA has two virtual events confirmed and now up on the AMA website in our events section that includes a walkabout tournament. We're going to be doing putt 18 from November 5th to November 11th, and that'll be virtual and it'll be in our AMA Facebook group for our events. And then on November 11th and 12th, and again, it depends on where you live in the world, once again, going to be utilizing the weekly Discord channel, the official channel of Walkabout Mini Golf, their weekly league. We're going to be utilizing those results 
to give us an opportunity for people who are in the AMA to earn more points. You can go again to our website. You have to opt in to the walkabout event, and then you'll have to play via Discord on the specific tea times that are available that are across different time zones. So you'll go into the Discord channel to run by a bunch of really awesome people, and they created a website for tracking all of the stats and everything that was made by not only a Minnesotan, but an AMA member, Jorge Rimbla. So thanks to them. We're excited to have those two virtual events to close out our season. And yeah, if you haven't played any of them, there's a possibility of earning up to 10 points between both of them, but at a bare minimum, you can get two points just for participating. So something to consider if you want to pad a few more points onto your season for the AMA, but we don't have any new AMA events that have happened. And we are just going to talk about the USPMGA Masters. And we are very, very fortunate to have an AMA connection that's going to be coming in to talk about the Masters. And it was their first time going around. We're going to welcome our guest for the first time on the podcast. Kyle Corsi of Mass Mini Golf and now lives in Maine. Welcome, Kyle. Hi, Tom. Hi, Pat. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on. And if you didn't know, Kyle, not only playing in his first Masters, I believe this is his first season playing in the AMA. And right now, he is tied for fourth for the season. So he's a pretty good putter and, uh, he showed that the Masters with Pat. Why don't you kick off and uh, start off our little conversation on the Masters? All right. So we'll do the the quick recap part. If you listen to our last episode, we kind of laid out, you know, what the format was. But we'll recap that, you know, really quickly here for the listeners. And so the USPMGA Masters, it's the big event for them in the year. It ends up being 12 rounds played over three courses over three days. And you do this little round robin, and then everybody comes together for round 10. And then round two is really the... The big rounds for placement at the end of the day. This year we had. Um, you mean the last two rounds? You said round two. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, this would the, be last the last two rounds. Two rounds. At, yes, that's what Rumble. I meant. I was R- rounds eleven Rumble. and twelve. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot to keep track of. As it is. Anybody who's played the Masters, and I'm sure Kyle will talk a little bit about as well when we get there. But. Um, this year, uh, the number's a little bit down, so they had 70 total players start. Um, there was only eight amateur players, so that leaves about 62 pros there. Um, Tom's flexing because he was one of those those eight. That made the top playing. 10 so he was top 10 no matter what. It was great, <laughs> great finish for him. Um, we had you know some some folks drop out or DNF by the end, which has not been unusual over the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so had a nice number of 69 players to finish out the tournament. um, Weather was, man, amazing for putting. It wasn't too hot. We had like two very quick bits of rain out there, but pretty much perfect tournament weather throughout the week. And the big story, and we've talked about him a lot, if you followed our Instagram page over the past week, you would have caught an interview. And I guess if you haven't followed it, go to our Instagram page and go check out our interview with the winner, Mr. Gary Hester, who is having an unbelievable 2023. 
you know, we talked about his win in the first World Putting League event, which was on Hawaiian Rumble. So he's definitely got that course dialed in. Um, Gary, an absolutely great job, great guy, and he has been gunning for this, we all know, for a long time and has had a lot of people in the mini golf community pulling for him. And not surprisingly, although I guess maybe a little surprisingly, because there was a lot of jockeying for the second through fourth places in those final few rounds. But in the last round, who did he end up beating? But none other than Mr. Joey Graviel, who they have fought valiantly together in the World Putting League. And we also did an interview with Joey on Facebook. Yeah, that one was on Facebook. On Friday uh, after on round Friday. 10 at Aloha. Yes. Yeah. So if you go check out the, the podcast Facebook, you can go see our discussion with Joey. Yeah, that was going into, that was finishing up after the 10th round. And then over on Instagram, we talked to Gary. So it was, it was exciting. Um, at one point, Gary's lead was just down to two strokes after hole 11. And there was just a lot of tension and everybody just kind of sat there and went, well, Gary can get to hole 15 with the lead. He's going to close this out. And he absolutely did. I think he aced 15, 16, 17 all in a row. And uh, there was no turning back. So we are incredibly excited for Gary to win that. It was a great tournament. And you know, with that kind of baseline, I guess we can chat about some of our own experience. And, you know, Kyle, I think let's let's start off. People have heard Tom and I talk about our, our <laughs> master's mm-hmm. experience before. So Kyle, it was your your first time. I know we had you a bit on social media in and out during practice and stuff. So um we'll we'll repeat some of that. But you know, just give us you know, some of your background, I guess let's start off with Tom laid it out, but give us your background of how you played overall this year, what your thinking was, and then going into the masters, what was your expectations? Um, sure. So yeah, like you said, first year playing, uh, I was trying to like manage expectations. They were, they were low. Like I jokingly said, I didn't want to come in last, which I did not. Uh, so that's, we'll call that a win, but you know, I knew I was coming in playing against some like very competitive players who had played this for a lot of years. I also knew it was across, you know, three courses. So I was going to be trying to relatively quickly get up to speed on three courses. Um, so, you know, knowing that, yeah, I was definitely trying to temper expectations, you know, chalk it up overall to a learning experience, but also like have fun too. Uh, and I do appreciate you guys, you know, showing me the ropes a little bit and uh, showing me some shots. So if I would big picture my performance, start off actually with with what I think was a pretty strong Thursday. We were all in the same group. So we started at Rumble, got in three rounds there. Um, I should have the scores up, but I think I went 31, 32, 34. Correct? You did. <laughs> you were, you were seven a, strokes better than me on that first round. So I would call that a good first round. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. Which was a strong a strong start. Though I, in that final third round, I did take a four on the 18th hole, which is kind of a, not as <laughs> strong an end to the, uh, to the round as I would like, you know, I thought I was almost going to get out of there with like a 31, 32, 32, which would have been great. Uh, that, that four uh, on 18 uh, comes back to haunt me later in round 12. We'll get to that. Um, <laughs> but um, anyhow, so yeah, real strong start out of the gate. Then we went down the road to Aloha for another three rounds. Again, all of us were in that same group. Um, had three solid rounds there. 
um, I went 31, 31, 30. And so was pleased with that, like a solid day of the books. Again, not having done the masters before, I didn't know what would be or didn't have a feel for good numbers. Uh, I know I had asked, I think, Pat, you beforehand, like, oh, like, what's what are people coming in at to stay like in the mix? Um, so anyhow, strong first day. Second day, a little rougher. We started at Pineapple. I knew this was going to be a, a tough course. Obviously, people too come in, looking at other scores, come in higher here, you know. Um, so I kind of wanted to just keep it at par-ish, which I went 37-34. And then the round that really hurt was my third round there, which I came in at 41. Um, so that one stung a little bit. You know, I had a rough round, was just missing some short putts. Uh, took a four again on 18. There seems to be a theme here. Four is on 18. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that was that was not great. Then we went back down to Aloha for, uh, I guess, what what round is that? Three, six, nine, ten, ten. round ten. Not a great, you know, came in 34 there. That's where I really needed to make up some strokes. And I I was I wanted to stay in that afternoon session there. Which Pat, you you were able to stay in, but with that thirty four there at uh, at Aloha, I bumped myself to that early morning wake up time. Me and Tom waking up at five a.m. <laughs> for rounds eleven and twelve. Yeah, at Rumble. So I I, I needed to so going into that Saturday, I needed to make up a little ground and have two strong rounds to close it out. And I think I believe I came in thirty four thirty five there, which was enough to kick yep. me. Just just painfully one stroke out of the money, which don't worry, I've had plenty of time over the last four days to think about that. Again, <laughs> stick, sticking with the four stroke or, or the score of four on the 18th hole on that last round, 35, I took a four on 18, which was just I that, that, that the 18th hole at Rumble was either good or terrible for me. I went three aces and two fours, wow. which is wow. just a an odd mix of it's like all or nothing. So I, I'm going to have to do some rethinking on that whole next year or just don't make bad putts. But um, yeah, the uh, aces, anyhow, the, the aces on that one are tough because you really have to go for it. But if you miss on 18 at rumble, there's a couple of places that you can get either above or to the side of the cup. They're just really, really tough putts. It's like down. Yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> oh, and, and, and the funny thing is, we were talking about this, I think, before we went live, looking at like how close the scores were. You getting like just a par on that hole the last two rounds, which would have been an incredible finish, all of a sudden jumps you to a tie for 28th or whatever. You know, maybe that, yeah, that would have kept you at 28th and you would have tied Kyle Cutshot because it was just. There was so much like moving up and down. If you look at the scores, pretty much from 407 overall to 382, there's someone at every point mark all the way down the list. So when you talk about a single putt in any round meaning anything over 12 rounds, you're like, well, what can that really matter? And it's like, 
Well, <laughs> I, I thought I had gotten bumped out of the, the afternoon or the, the late morning on round 10 because I took a three on hole 18 on Aloha and I knew it was close. Oh, yeah. I had to sweat out four groups behind me coming in to make sure that I was going to make that top 30. And there were some really good names behind it too. And yeah, even hole 18. I mean, I took a three on hole 18 in the last round on Rumble and I was up high and I did the little short, like very light tap to mm-hmm. try to drop. It never dropped. So oh, it went par- it went out for six inches and just stopped. Oh, and Danny and I are staring worst. at it going, didn't even realize it could do that. Now, luckily I made, it was much more straight downhill putt at that point. But yeah, anything, when you get on top of that hole, that is mm-hmm. just gnarly, that's, gnarly. Yeah, that's, I had, I was, my line was, I, I went aggressive at it for an ace, but it, and it slung me around and I was up on the high side closer to the tee box, which I yeah. think is oh, a wow. shot. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even know you could, if anything, you're going to go long past on the other side of the hole, but this wasn't even a putt. I think I had taken, if anything, once casually in practice. So this was like no man's land, but, uh, oh yeah, Tom, believe me, I, I've done the math on the, <laughs> the, the, the putt there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a lesson learned. It's like, the the importance of a stroke i mean in in two or three round format maybe you i mean you know the importance of a stroke but 12 rounds maybe in the back of your mind like well i mean it's only one stroke in 12 rounds like uh but obviously that's you know it's still one stroke then again you made three aces and if you did what gary hester did in the final round where he's mastered the layup on 18 at rumble you get what is that you get a two every round over five rounds you get a 10 you did one worse than that like yeah. you got I may two be laying fours up next three year. aces <laughs> you know but you know you lay up on one of them even and you know what you know might be better but if you don't give it a chance on all of them you know you might have done worse that's it's a really tricky hole it really is tricky and frankly even laying up is not super easy you really have to put it in the right place you get too far below it and those breaks those are the breaks of the masters but your first masters and getting one stroke out of the money is beyond impressive i know that it took aaron kaminsky probably his fifth or sixth masters to get paid out pat what what masters did you get paid out was it your my fourth your fourth, I've never done it, and I've played three. And you know, if I take a look down that list, this is the third year that Brian Akers from Putters League Atlanta, and he just made that cut line uh, at four oh three, and he had oh, he yeah. had his best he had a great overall. Last round there. And and speaking of Brian, I feel like we should shout him out and shout out oh, our yeah. friends at uh, Fifty Four Problems uh, podcast over in the UK. Brian Akers had 54 less problems than last year because that <laughs> was the number that he improved his score by. I thought that I had improved from this year to last year. That is wild. Like I improved my own game 24 strokes and I felt pretty great about that. Brian completely crushed it. I know I did slightly better than him last year, but I think the experience of him playing for Team USA, organizing more tournaments with Putters League Atlanta, 
traveling around to all those Southern swing events, he's really dialing it in and just had a great year. And I saw him out there and he's, he's just, he was telling me, I'm going to just spend two hours charting deuces on each course each day. And I look back and I'm like, crap, should have probably done that on a few of those holes would have saved myself a lot of problems. And you know, that, that's sort of how the, how the cookie crumbles. But yeah, I mean, going back to you, Kyle, I mean, what an impressive year. I mean, through day one, the people that you were having to get paired up with, you started off playing with a four-time Masters champ, Danny McCaslin, who sadly withdrew before the end of the first day for the second year in a row. And then your second set of rounds, you played over on Aloha with Tony Varnador, who had the course record there of 22 and is also one of masters. And then your third set of rounds, you're with Gary English. And then the fourth set, you're with John Ventura. These are like people whose combined masters experience, let alone competitive mini golf experiences verging on about 200 years. And that's not even joking. I, yeah. Like, I think all of them have played somewhere in the ballpark about 50 years each. And then who did you finish up with in the last day? I don't even remember. Oh, uh, I finished up with Randy Reeves. Another. So, I mean, you were, and yeah, add, add Randy into that mix. Another. It's to be a podcast staple. I finished with Randy in the last day last year. Oh, really? So, yeah. So, how many Masters wins are there? You got one for Randy, you got four for Danny. You got one for Tony. That's that's pretty wild. Did Gary English ever win one? I don't think he's won one. Yeah, Gary and John haven't won them, but you got paired with some pretty like seasoned vets that I think a lesser putter might get more intimidated by people that have played that long. But kudos to you to just dial in and really go for it. I'd I'd be curious because you played, you know, as we mentioned earlier quite a few AMA tournaments this year. You won the main open, which we had mentioned as well as finishing really well, I believe up at Farmington No, you definitely Farmington. You finished pretty well, but dolphin you, you passed uh, someone for second place. Who's on this podcast that played. In that rumble, rumble, grumble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, there's a, there's a, yeah, there's a one stroke difference. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sure. Speaking of which, I guess, I guess uh, <laughs> we, we won't belabor that one, but so you've, you've clearly played in a lot of mini golf events this year. How did the masters compare like what was that experience like for you because for both of us this isn't our first time so we would love to get your sort of first glance of it um i mean first glance i mean overall it was great i like the opportunity to play like 12 highly competitive you know intense rounds with some like you said seasoned seasoned pros and vets who have a lot of years of collective experience under their under their belts was really good um i mean it, it was interesting you know because there's, there's i think there's two learning curves to it and one is mini golf related and one is just the general function related because um showing up there and having not played i was trying to kind of get the lay of the land fortunate and i was uh, fortunate uh fortunately enough you know you guys were there to kind of guide me but 
it's like the logistics of oh like what exactly is happening here and how do i like navigate the you know how, how do i navigate this because you've got three different courses you know one of them goes by like three different names so there's some confusion around that at least for my end like now having a play having played it one year it's like pretty clear um but it's like oh so we do how many rounds at which course and how do we rotate through things and how exactly does this work so there's the learning curve related to that um and then there's obviously the like actual putting learning curve of trying to learn you know 54 different shots and trying to in succinct fashion in a limited number of, of hours you know i got there monday afternoon and tried to zip through you know aloha and then the other courses tuesday and wednesday but it's like how can i very quickly get up to speed to at least a baseline functional level on these shots and not totally you know sink myself um so at least for me it was interesting trying to hone in on like okay what's my best bang for the buck in terms of like practice time because i'm not going to perfect them all I'm not like local. I have never been there before. I don't, you know, I can't go to that, like, you know, uh, elite, you know, Gary Hester or, you know, Joey Grabeel level of, of mastery. So it's like, oh, where can I focus, you know, my, my energy to try to get dialed in on certain holes that are, uh, could be problem holes. Um, so, you know, that was kind of a fun element trying to, uh, trying to manage my time there. But, um, you know, overall, I mean, I feel like it, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, just like zipped right by. It was like you're jumping into it Thursday, knock out three rounds, eat a bite, get in the car. I felt like I was tracing that uh, the 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 street there from Aloha all the way up to Rumble in perpetual. Uh, you know, it almost felt like some sort of like movie interlude or soundtrack uh, where you're just you know in the car driving to mini golf courses on the strip there. Kings um, Highway 17. You get to know it really well on this trip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure um but yeah so i mean I, overall i you know it was a it was a fun a fun experience and you know just tying it in with other ama stuff i think like dolphin was actually kind of good practice for the extended around format because i will say on thursday after six rounds man i felt kind of gassed like i was like you know and it wasn't even like we were cooking out in the sun it was like not bad and there's a little cloud cover there at aloha um, by the time we get to those, you know, rounds four, five, six, but it's just kind of felt, yeah, it's like, you know, the mental focus and stuff, uh, starts to wane a little bit there. Or you just kind of, I don't want to say get burned out, but you, yeah, you run out a little bit of steam there, but dolphin being the 10 round format that it is with eight rounds on Saturday and then two rounds on Sunday. I, I don't know. It felt like that kind of conditioned me a little bit for knocking out a bunch of rounds in one day and trying to like knock out, you know, competitive rounds, not just, you know, falling apart down the stretch or something. Um, so yeah, but again, overall, like a, a great three, uh, great three days there. You make a good point. It, it does seem like the day, the week kind of goes slow and then Thursday all of a sudden just flies by, even though, it is in the moment very taxing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I always feel exhausted at the end of it. But yeah, that Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you're like, oh, the tournament's over already. And I feel like the bit first half of the week is just like, yeah, we're practicing. You're practicing. You're practicing. It seems like it takes forever. But I do want to. Um, you mentioned kind of the logistics part of it. I do want to make sure we shout out Greg Newport. Yes. Um, because he took a lot of initiative this year. Talked with a lot of players, and for the first time, I. 
for the first, I am confident in saying to this level of detail and the first time that I have played the masters, we had a true players rules meeting. Greg did an awesome job. He had a sheet, he had broken down, you know, the general rules and then stuff for each individual course, because there's different holes on there that could have some, you know, funky stuff that happens, how to space stuff out, had the players there, had a great time for, you know, questions, you know, Tom, you did a great job. You, you live streamed that over, I think that was an Instagram one as well. Um, Podcast Instagram. And hopefully it sounded okay for anybody that tried to tune in to see what was going on. I apologize, but that room in Aloha is yeah. a really bad reception. But it was, you know, even for seasoned players like us, it was good to reiterate. Everybody was on the same page. I mean, I, I asked a question because literally I had had something happen that I had never had happen in the six years I had played because I was taking a new shot on 17 and pineapple. And I was like, well, I don't know where this ball is going to go if I go out of bound. And there was a bunch of good questions. And I felt like this was the first year that I didn't have to worry about, especially going into pineapple that has the mm -hmm. most funkiest places of like, what happens if I overhit something if i end up in this weird place like it was all laid out so there was a nice level of anxiousness that got pulled out and we actually saw like there was one on hole nine where the ball was still touching green and you know, everybody looked at it and agreed and said well no that's still technically inbounds and played it was brandon davis had it, and he actually made a really great shot to save the two there but there was just that part and so greg if you're listening Thank you for pulling that together because yes. that was a really big benefit this year. Yeah, and that was a big point. If you listened to us talk about the Masters last year, it was sort of infamous episodes and we're trying to be a little bit more positive, I think, this year. And part of it is is that there were more positives where those things were talked through and the initiative was taken by the players to really make the experience better for everybody and I'm glad for the players that did that. I thought that was really something where at least the players heard like, hey, this is not great for the experience of people coming out because everybody who's playing wants to see the event grow and expand and the game expand. It's why some of us stayed late on that Wednesday after the opening ceremonies to cheer on the kids from the first tee and some people stayed late on the Saturday of the tournament for the juniors championship at a low or at a, the uh, rumble course that everybody wants to see younger people gaining heck Joey Graybill every year comes out during the morning session that he never plays in to root on people that he'd practiced with and maybe showed putts. I think that one was Thursday or yeah, Thursday night, Kyle and I went out to pineapple to practice late and Joey Graybeal's over there with a bunch of younger players showing everybody how to do it. Brian Akers was over there with JC who hadn't got a lot of practice. And I thought that was just really great that we have all these, you know, seasoned players that are showing newer players how to do this and really acclimate them because there's so many different things that if you just went by the program, you know, that might be a little off. Like sometimes the word gets down the grapevine about changes at tea times and sometimes it doesn't. It's not totally obvious to someone who it's their first year that you have to play with a master's logo ball. We had that with last year with our 
new friend Justin who didn't know that rule and one of the players had to tell him and it didn't really get passed on. And I think there's like a big assumption because there's a lot of people that play year after year. It's the overwhelming majority of people that play this year had probably played before. If I'm looking down the list, there's maybe five new people that have played this year, but that stuff's really important because it's like your first day at a job, first day at school. It, it doesn't get off to the right start. It, kind of like really snowballs and you're like, uh, I'm done. Like it, it just sets a bad precedent. And Kyle, I'm curious. And I guess you don't have to answer because we know sometimes what the fallout can be of providing constructive criticism, but you know, you've played several different events, different formats, different organizers. You've had a chance to play the masters. Hopefully you haven't been too tainted by our own biases that we've complained about over the years. But, um, you know, if you had one or two things as now somebody who's a player who's played once that, you know, suggestions to improve your experience or things that would really elevate that for you coming back or, you know, for other people who are coming in, you know, was there anything that crossed your mind in that aspect? Um, oh, well, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I mean, I think... Again, I was fortunate to have you guys kind of steering me through the three days, but I was just what I think I would have probably answered a lot of those questions for me. It was just like a one pager of here is, and I know some of this is in sort of in the guidebook, but just a consolidated, uh, accurate uh, run through of kind of the schedule of the full the full three days in in one place might have been. Uh, might have been useful, uh, perhaps even with a, a map showing the courses and their uh, their alias names or something like that. Um, you know, maybe it's two pages, maybe it's double sided. And on the back, you have a mention about the balls um, that you've got to uh, obviously play with. Um, and yeah, a few other pieces of information. I mean, I will I'll echo what you said, like the, having the rules thing was was, uh, I think, very helpful and I was even able to pass along some of the info I learned on that to someone who wasn't at the rules meeting. It's specifically about the two scorecard relief on pineapple from, I forget the whole number, seven? Six. Oh, whole Eight. six. Yeah, whole six, six. up against okay. the wall. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I had seen someone taking a scorecard. And I was like, oh, hey, you know, like, FYI, by the way. And I actually was carrying around the rule, the printed out rule sheet during all the rounds in case I had to consult it. I don't, I don't think I actually had to, but having it there in my pocket was, uh, was comforting. But uh, anyhow, so I don't know, those kind of reference things I find are, you know, yeah. hard copy reference things are surprisingly, you know, useful um, just to, to have and refer back to and kind of use as your, your guidebook through things. Yeah, and it was really great that, I mean, a large majority of the field was able to be present there. So, you know, I know not everybody can be there because it was kind of a little bit late put together and timing and everything, but you did have you know, all the, a lot of the players and yeah, that whole rule on hole six. I mean, pineapple was really the one where I know you had it. And then our group, um, I think Joey had it one time where he was up against it. So he had the twos and that was something that I had no idea. And I don't even know if it has been a rule in the past, honestly. No idea. Um, so was, that, that was a great example of where and why that is so important to cover all of those things because it just makes everybody on the same page and 
it's easy. Nobody's arguing about anything. Um, I do like the idea of kind of the, you know, the slip sheet of, you know, and, and I know, you know, they talked about a little bit of the opening ceremonies that, you know, they were aware there was some stuff that wasn't printed correctly in the schedule and stuff, which, I mean, I, again, I will give them credit. There was a little bit more self-awareness to some things this year than there has been in the past. Um, but it is, again, difficult on timing because even stuff like the closing ceremony, I mean, you guys missed most of the awards part of it because it said it was going to start at six and it started half an hour earlier. So, you know, you make little strides here, but a, a slip sheet with like a map and kind of those couple key things um, on the back is, is a great idea. And that's something that they could just you know, easily slide into a program like that. You know what I wouldn't mind seeing that I know that Mick has at the MC Mini Masters is that there are a few holes on a few different courses, whether they have wacky ways that you play them or that they're played in a unique way because something's wrong with like one hole on an entire course, that there's a little taped up information piece on the post for those mm -hmm. holes. So hole number nine at Rumble, hole number six at Pineapple, maybe any of the holes at Pineapple I guess it would be all of pineapple where you can go out of bounds over the berms. For the most part, I think you can do that on almost every hole across the board. Um, it seems less likely on some, but I mean, I think last year where we were offering constructive criticism was based on a video that was shot on hole number one where someone really just crushed it into out of bounds and there was confusion about whether you could play it from out of bounds or whether you had to take relief below the berm. And I always was of the mind, oh, well, I thought we could play from out of bounds. I've never played from out of bounds. And, you know, if other people want to do that, it's fine. But when I heard the explanation, why not? It was like, actually, that's great. Like, I totally understand why that's made. I could understand the other way too, where you say, yes, you can play from out of bounds, but please be sure to clean up after yourself because it's likely if you're playing for the mulch, you're dragging mulch on the course. But the reason they wanted people to play below it is they just didn't want people to drag the mulch in, and that's fair. And in theory, you create a problem where if the ball goes out of bounds that you can't get relief inbounds once it's out there and someone could stroke out, which comes to our other thing that we found a compromise on. This was the first year in the Masters that at least through the first 10 rounds for everybody and the last two rounds for the morning session, there was an eight stroke limit. It's the first year that that's happened. I don't know why they maintain the stroke, like no stroke limit for the last two rounds. I'm betting that nobody that played in the afternoon on Saturday even hit a five. I bet there wasn't, a single five in that group. So it's just like, okay, cool. No stroke limit. It, it doesn't really match up with international play, but I think the bigger issue is not for the top players and have kind of similar issues in our local leagues. A lot of these rules adversely affect players that are newer to the game and lesser skilled, and it really slows down the speed of play for everybody that's not ideal. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm glad we got a stroke limit. I'm 
still boggled why we just can't do seven and maybe that will be the hill I end up dying on in the USPMGA on. But um, it, you're right. Like, and I think a lot of the conversation and in, in talking with Greg and Bennett and Olivia and some of the others who were kind of spearheading that was really, it wasn't so much like, okay, well, we should be lined up with international standards, which again, we should be. It was more focused on the player experience. And if you've got players or new or at the bottom, like you don't want them getting frustrated because there's certainly a couple holes, especially pineapple. Like, you know, you could have something go wrong and you don't want people shooting eights and nines and tens out there unnecessarily, right? Like just everybody, when you get in that situation, you just want to mark the crooked number and move to the next hole and kind of get your head back there. So yeah, you know, baby steps, you know, after 27 years, I guess some baby steps are warranted. And, um, yeah, I'll say it's what we're looking at the right direction, at least. And um, it was very, very happy to see that. I know. I think you alluded to it, Pat, but I mean, this is the third year in a row that you've been in the money and that you finished in the top 20 right at 20th. So that's another really strong finish. Last year, you were inside of the top 20. So kudos to you. Um, I also wanted to make sure that we called out some of the other results. Josh Carroll, who I believe this is only his third Masters, won amateur by one stroke over the, I believe, 16-year-old Chase Ferguson. Maybe he's even younger. They had a tight, tight battle, 406-407, and with Vanette Block coming in at third, 416, not her... Not a year that she, I think, felt the best about, but considering everything that she's been going through, I think it's just amazing. And honestly, biggest shout out to her, Rick Baird, and a couple of other players, including you, Pat, that frankly, like, I played better this year because I got great advice. You know, Rick and Vanette were happy to just show me some shots over on Aloha and you know, year to year improvement on that course was pretty considerable for me. I mean, I had played pretty bad last year on that course and really wanted revenge. And I did over four rounds, 11 strokes better. So I was pretty stoked about that. And honestly, I thought I could have done even better than that. I just couldn't get some of the easier aces to roll out and really score low, but I didn't make many mistakes there seniors rainy statum won it uh super seniors gary hester won it there's tournaments within the tournament that you can buy into surprise surprise the women's winner who might be like the 10 time in a row women's winner olivia prokopova she overall had finished tied for third with greg newport i don't think we'd mentioned that and then her husband one stroke behind Wade Sommel with his best finish at the Masters top five. Following that, Nate Nichols, Rainey Statham, Brandon Davis, Danny Tatum, and Frank Possessi, a former guest, finished out the top 10. And oh yeah, Gary English was tied for 10th as well. So if you look at the list, uh, it's online in like the mini golf tournament um, enthusiast group. The whole list is there. Uh, the other one that will be interesting for some of our international players is that within the Masters, we have what we call the Continental Championship for what it's worth. 
And there's been discussion about it, but it's this odd thing that everybody pays a little bit more money and essentially qualifies you if you're in the top 12 to make Team USA to go play the World Adventure Golf Masters overseas, which will be in the Czech Republic at Brno Bowling. And um, there was just 10 of us this year, including myself. Uh, and we'll see who all goes over. But it's the people who qualified, Nate Nichols, Danny Tatum, Jeff Mosk, Lee Messinger, John Paul, Jeremy and Abinette, Vanette Block, myself, Paul Gay, and Alan Sharpton. Who's going over is TBD. Uh, I know that a lot of people are still making decisions. I'm hoping to, and planning on going over right now. And it's going to be a, a long winter of practicing with the mini golf balls I have and uh, really getting dialed in. But uh, that's how we determine things in the U.S. for better or worse. And we'll be keeping you updated on who goes over there. But uh, yeah, I'll, the team's event. I think Olivia and Joey have won this one many years over. And again, it's another way where you just like retabulate the scores that already exist and you have all these other categories that they're in. And uh, yeah, Gary Hester and Rick Baird came in second. Nate, Eng Nate Nichols and Gary English took third. Um, yeah, if you look at those lists, it's some of the best putters around. And, you know, shout out to... Everybody that I played with, Jeremy, Allen, Justin, Paul Johns, and Dylan. I had a blast with every one of them playing all of those different courses. And honestly, that makes all the difference. I had just fantastic time playing with all of them. Even Jeremy Belfi, who, you know, was lower on the rankings for the tournament, he had his best round and was really excited about it. And that was fun to see. He wanted to really get below par on Rumble and one of the rounds he did. And he did it in style and he had great energy. And it was fun playing with him. So can't hack that. And lots of people down the list are first time around. They showed up, they finished, and good for them. Not everybody finished the Masters and they did. I think we should do a podcast team next time. I'm looking at the scores. I think we could... We could make top 10 in the teams. I mean, there's only like 13 of them, but there's some, our combined scores could get there. I mean, yeah, I, I, I just really want to do better. I, I already made notes about what, which holes that I want to do better on, but I will say I, this year did not judge the, how I played better based on just my score, but like what positions did I put myself in? And what did I do in those scenarios? And in many of those, I just played them better. My first year, my first round of Rumble, I might not ever beat it. I got a 30. And I don't know how that happened. I could haven't repeated it since. You'll be happy to know, Kyle, that I didn't get in the 20s because of hole 18. Um, it is really tricky. And that hole sits in my head for that reason alone. Um, <sighs> I feel your feel your pain. And I've, you know, I, I did better my first year at Rumble, but I also shot the moon on 17 and made all five aces that, that year. This year I put myself in, you know, I overhit and underhit it on 17, one round each, where I had to make those recovery shots where it wasn't from the tee box and making those deuces, honestly, compared to last year, where 
I took fours on, you know, two different fours on 17. It's that kind of improvement that I wanted. Do I wish that I would have played in the afternoon and would have played better, you know, after all that practice? Sure. But, you know, I also knew kind of those days that my mental game is not there. It's like the biggest thing I'm going to work on. I need to sleep. I do not sleep well. Uh, I was up, you know, Kyle mentioned our tea times on Saturday and, you know, we were probably, probably need to be up at 5.30, but my good old brain said, how about 3.30? And <laughs> Mine too. We were both probably awake, oh. you know, at the exact same time, <laughs> you know, three hours, two hours before we needed to be awake. And, you know, it's already something that I'm working on strategies to just do better at it because it's, it's really a grind. I'm the biggest issue I have is just that my brain can't stop racing through those stupid 54 holes. I can literally go hole one, pineapple, putter out, hole two, left side, foot out, hole three. I mean, like literally I could tell you my T spot for 54 holes because it is such a grind. And honestly, I, I think for me, the bigger thing is how do I balance it out? And in a weird way, Pat, traveling with your family, <laughs> it does that. You go to the pirate show, you go to the beach. Well, that's what I was going to say. The, for me, the past two years, you know, I've had my family down there for five of the six years that I've been. And the past two years were the years that I stepped back and said, I'm in Myrtle Beach. Like, let me enjoy Myrtle Beach. So I, I've pr- actually practiced less those these past two years. And in time, I could still tell you my T-spots for all 54. But I do feel like once the practice has been over or once the rounds have been over, I've been able to shut that off more and enjoy the rest of it. And I've felt a lot more calm playing these rounds. And it's interesting, you know, you talked about great improvement. Obviously, Kyle, it's your first time. Like, I shot the same exact score I did last year. Oh, wow. And, you know, placement, you know, I I was four places lower, but okay, there was different people played, and and that's not going to happen anyways. But I feel like I had the really, the 38, the first round in Rumble, which wasn't great. But if I think through all of my rounds, I probably only had like three shots where I was like, what the hell did I do? Like, and I didn't have a whole lot of drops. And even the ones that I did have drops, like were really difficult putts. Like I I felt like I made a lot of those. So it'd be interesting. I haven't gone through my numbers yet. And I know I made a little less aces on Aloha than I did before, you know, the year before and stuff. But like last year when I was up so high, I felt like I came out of the gate and played, you know, Kyle kind of the way you, like I was riding a high, and kind of took that all the way through. Whereas this time I had a slower start and just kind of even keeled my way through the end of it and caught fire in the last two rounds, which was nice. I played my best. I felt like I, I mean, there were two great scores, 31, 32 at rumbles, excellent scores. And I felt like they were excellent scores as I was going through. And it was, um, it was just a different experience. So, I mean, that that's something that I've taken away is like, you can, it can over grind you if that's, all you were doing for a week straight. And I know, you know, Tom and I have talked about on the episodes, like Myrtle Beach is not 
the most wonderful place in the world to be hanging out. It's still Myrtle Beach, but there's stuff there that you can do that's different. And, and we went out Friday night and played the the Ripley's Crazy Golf. And was it the best mini golf out there? Absolutely not. But it was fun for an hour. And, you know, it was something different to do. And I, I know we can talk about, or you could talk a little bit about the the scallywag, the salty scallywag that um, Brian did as well. That was a great distraction for people. Yeah. On the Monday of the Masters, Brian Akers from Putters League Atlanta did a first-time event called the Salty Scallywag, where what he did was on that Monday afternoon, he drew on social media from a number of courses the name out of a hat of a course, and the idea was people show up, sight unseen, throw in 20 bucks plus some greens fees, and go play the course. And Kyle joined me as well. And I think we had 17 putters that showed up that night. Another thing I have to share on social media, I think Brian shared a number of my photos, but and glad somebody got it up because I'm not getting photos up this year. But there was 17 of us that showed up on a Monday night. We ended up playing Treasure Island, had a blast. And uh, much like the last several other tournaments that I've played in, I played with the winner of the tournament. <laughs> so Matterhorn, I played with Dave Veda. Miniest, I played with Matt Rolstad. And I played with Tim Talley and the winner of the Salty Scallywag, the first one, Jeremy Abinet. He shot a 35. We had a number of people that shot 36s that I believe tied for second and third. And, you know, a good group of people. I think there was at least two people that didn't even play in the masters that happened to be down there that just joined in, which is really nice. I know Brian's partner, Amanda had a really busy work week and just couldn't break away, but she was down there and she joined that night. And I was really stoked that she got to participate. And I know that we had done our event at Mount Atlanticus a couple of years ago for that same purpose, where we had Justin Beltier from up in Maine who came up and visited and played in that event and that, streaming thing that we did. So I think it's really good for people to get out there and just have some fun. I think it was really smart to do it on the Monday before everybody's just kind of grinded down. And yeah, I mean, Treasure Island is a tricky course to play competitively on. Kyle, what was your impression of uh, Treasure Island for a first time playing competitive single round event? Yeah, no, that was I did have a good time. That was a lot of fun playing there, and it's so it was a lot of fun to play, like competitively sight reading, like everyone kind of like in the moment trying to, you know, figure out the shots and you know maybe you have you know and the, the way we did it too is we rotated like we there was no honors or anything. We just rotated through mm -hmm. the you know the teeing teeing off so that no one really had any advantage or disadvantage. So. You know, depending on what hole you had, you know, you might benefit from that or not benefit from it. But um, <laughs> no, Treasure Island himself, I think it was it was good. Go ahead, Tom. Uh, well, I was laughing because do you benefit from having honors? And our our friend Kyle Cutshaw, who owns the Mossy Creek course, before it was somewhere in the back nine. There's this kind of a hole that has a big bowl, and if you get it up in the bowl, it's a guaranteed hole in one. Kyle's like, there's really no way to miss it. And he just hits it a little bit of past it. 
and it sits on the ledge above it. And I made a video and he's just like, of course, I'm going to miss it when you make a video. I was like, there's no way you could miss. In the end, Kyle came in tied for second for the event. And that was the shot that made all the difference in a single round. And he he's just like, please. He's like, it's funny if you share it. And I'm like, I'll eventually get around to it. But you know, I think the spirits were really high. I mean, there are so many holes where it's like 50 foot long holes where you're like hitting it down the hill and it's just like 45 degree angle and then it shoots way past the cup and comes yeah. back. I had one that I hit in the water and it just stayed in the in the pipe and it was like eight different guys with like iPhones <laughs> digging around. I, in a I, have, Tom, I have a good picture of that of like, like eight or nine or 10 people all lined up kind of looking on while we try to figure out what happened to uh, where exactly your ball went on that hole, because yeah, it, uh, it went for a ride somewhere. It, it was amusing, but I mean, again, talk about good fortune of playing partners. I mean, everybody at that event was great, but I, I get to see Tim and Jeremy every year at the Red Putter, but I've never been paired with them. And then pairing up with them for that event was just so much fun to start it off. And Jeremy just, he crushed it. I think he he hit the most hole-in-ones and he won a luchador mask as well that he showed off right afterwards. And just really good spirits. I I think getting the pros out and playing other places in town and just everybody having fun like that it it just felt like very different than my master's experience last year. And it really comes down to the players. I think you get to know the players better, but the spirit of the players this year was really, really good. And I guess for me to close it out, that same spirit really, you could tell was being felt around Gary Hester. Like it all comes down to this year being, this is the year that he got the gorilla off his back. And you can go take a look at the rounds on our Facebook page or the interview with Gary on our Instagram. But it was a heck of a match. He was putting himself in a position potentially to have it really close where he might drop it after just playing lights out. I mean, he shot like a total three-round score of 80 on Aloha. I think he shot like a 90 or 91 on Pineapple. He's just out there completely crushing it and, and, you know, followed through and he was so happy and you could see it. And I'm sure it's still sinking in. I've had conversations with him when I was at the red putter two years ago or a year ago, I guess, where he's like, I might be running out of time. I mean, he had the infamous round where he went into the finals of the U S open at pineapple up to and shot a 29 and lost to Rick Baird because he sh Rick Baird shot a 26. That's kind of what has been up to Gary. And we saw it earlier this year where he had a lead at Aloha and lost the WPL event. And it's not like he's throwing these away or he's a bad putter. It's just that other people, he's caught their best games. And it was so great to see Gary just step up there and win it himself. Because Joey... I mean, you could see in the video, Joey, when he missed getting the hole in one, you know, on nine and Gary missed it. Then after him, Joey was upset. Gary might be his best friend, but I'll be damned if he didn't want to beat him. And 
you know, I think that made it even more fun when it got really close down the stretch in that last round. And just go back and watch it if you haven't. Hopefully the video looks good. David Biggie shot it and was running around doing an amazing job trying to capture it. But when you're running around the course, it's not going to be perfect video. My audio is probably lots of ums and buts and ahs and trying to vamp and say something poignant at a mini golf course after very little sleep and playing. But, you know, it ultimately was like a really amazing moment. I think everybody enjoyed seeing Gary have that. I mean, more than anybody else, I think this tournament is a pretty big deal. I think, you know, there's a handful of people, Matt McCaslin, Rick Baird, and a few others that this is sort of their next in line where this is the one they want to check off their list. And for good reason, it's a big one, but yeah, that's kind of my last thoughts on the masters. How about any, any other thoughts that you guys have? I would just chime in. Yeah. As a first time masters goer and say that, you know, aside from, you know, my own putting or, you know, once the 12 rounds were done, it was pretty fun to then kind of like giddily follow along on the final round through with, uh, you know, Gary and, and Joey and, and, you know, a couple of those other groups who are finishing up later and, you know, kind of amble around uh, the the rumble course there. And at one point we were watching on 11 and there's kind of like people perched up on kind of a little cliff there. And if you feel kind of like a, a little kid, you know, hanging out, trying to get a get a glimpse of uh, folks playing. And, and that was a good place to see kind of the uh, 11th hole action there, I think, where Joey picked up an ace and then Gary had a had a three on that one. Um, so yeah, being able to kind of follow along in that final round was, uh, was pretty enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, kudos to you and Biggie for, for doing that. I mean, it's a, it's one of those things that we hope we can continue to push forward and get that on a broader platform in the future because it is so entertaining. I mean, even where I finished, we were able to watch pretty much the rest of all of the final rounds for Gary and and Joey, and also shout out to Joey for wearing both an AMA hat and an O Street mini golf shirt in the final two rounds, which uh, we just love him as a friend of the pod. But um, yeah, I mean, that there was all the drama that you wanted and just that feeling of no one wants to root against Joey because he is a great guy, but everybody wanted to see Gary come through. And I think as they when they got to 15, and that was another one where he aced it and Joey didn't, there was just this feeling like there was no way Gary was going to lose this going out. Like, and and you talked about he's had bad experiences before, but it just seemed like there was a a karmic wave from all of the spectators and other participants that kind of pushed him to the end. And, you know, you can see we put, I put up the video of the, him playing the final hole on our Instagram and you could just see the rush of emotion when he finished and and then the rush of emotion from all the other players. So I think as a final word, like just it, that's everything you would want from the masters, right? It's, it's everything that people yeah. want from the big masters and we delivered it on the mini scale. Amen to that. Yeah. Uh, Kyle, last question for you. Will you go back? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think I have to, I mean, I had a good time. You know, we'll see how things shape up schedule-wise and just personal stuff going into next year. But, like, you know, uh, I mean, overall, it was, it was a great time. Finishing one stroke out of the money also is, like, good for a couple reasons. One, I think it's just instructive uh, for just 
the mini golf game at large is like if you're going to play competitive mini golf and i'm only a, like a year into this really uh if you're going to play competitive mini golf you've got to get used to you know losing and or winning by like by one stroke so it's like it's an instructive in that sense and then also it's good because it's like well that leaves me kind of like wanting more and to have a concrete goal for next year like all right i just missed it this year let's see if i can come back next year and uh you know tighten up a few a few holes and and make a few better shots and so so i think that's a yes tom <laughs> i think nice. i think i will be back i mean the other thing too is like it was nice to see like you know get exposure to a little bit of a different player group and see some of the folks who are a little on the older side um you know when compared to some of the ama stuff in new england that we've been doing but just and to, to get exposure kind of like the some of the putt putt players and the people who've been around for a very long time and played this for you know the masters tournament for a long time because it's kind of like well like the arc of competitive mini golf is like very long and it's like you know just looking at art our, ourselves it's like oh you might have another you know <laughs> 30 30 40 years like of competitive mini golfing like still ahead of you i mean so that was kind of like encouraging. So there could be, you know, many more masters and certainly many more competitive mini golf tournaments ahead. So, yeah, I'll, I'll be back. Sweet. I think I might be too. I think, I think, I think I'm, I, I think I'm, I think there, there was something about it that I fell in love with it a little bit more than I did last year. And I don't think it was just the results, but We'll see. I think the biggest challenge really from anybody from the North is just really expensive. It's a lot of time off of work. It's a flight because it's not an easy drive from the Midwest. And you got the one nice thing is like Kyle and I split lodging and it's actually pretty affordable down there this time of year, but everything else, you kind of need a car. You got to buy food every day and eat. And it just starts to add up. Um, and so you really have to kind of pick and choose. Like if I have the choice between whether I do Wagam and go to the Czech Republic or the Masters this year and I have to pick one or the other, I'm picking Wagam. Um, you know, I just want a different experience, but it won't be my last Masters. I wasn't sure about that before, but I think this year of competitive putting, it, it, it just felt like something that I, you know, you can really weigh yourself against the other players and need to do a better job at that. So yeah, let's, uh, speaking of the rest of the world, let's, uh, let's get through some other stuff. We went long, but I think with Kyle as a guest, we really wanted to give that experience for people that might not have ever been to the masters, what it's like. And we're going to go to the WMF wag tour, Pat, and, uh, might as well jump it off. Czech Republic. Czech Republic, yes. We had two more events on the tour we played since we last did a, an episode here. So we had the Czech Adventure Golf Masters, which was that same ending weekend of the 30th into the 1st of October. Matej Velcek wins. He is got to be one of the best young adventure golfers in the world, if not the best. He's won several tournaments in the Czech Republic. He's been to Wagam um, and yeah, hard to... Hard to beat him right now, and he even outlasted his dad, Daniel, on there. Um, and there was some live streaming. If you go to the the WAG Tour Facebook page, um, they've got links out, or I guess you can go directly to their YouTube and uh, catch. They did several of the rounds live streaming there, so you can go back and watch some of the, the holes there. It was pretty interesting to, to catch some of that while we were 
I actually was watching it in the car driving down to Myrtle Beach on the 30th. <laughs> so kudos to them covering that. And, and that then, was at that was at the Horny, Horny Bezhnikov yeah, course with, where they had the Wagam four or five years eighteen yeah I think yes I think it was twenty eighteen but yes it was it was on that Wagam course so you can get to see what they played and that was actually a course that Team USA did pretty well on it's mm-hmm. pseudo Harris style so it's kind of a little bit more familiar to us than some of the city golf courses um, but speaking of other wagon courses we had the Aust- i was gonna say australian which australia is later austrian adventure golf masters which was on october 8th and um little to no surprise here because it was on the gumpel gumpel skirkin yeah i always want to say like rumpelstiltskin but that is not even anywhere close um but yeah, that was the course that the this year's wagon was at, and uh, absolutely no surprise that Patrick Reiner also won the Austrian Adventure Golf Masters after winning wagon on that same course. Uh, he was actually at the Masters last year, obviously another great putter, and he snuck by Carl Lacos, who's got talk about history in miniature golf. I mean, many many years there as well, and all over the world, and I think Carl's played in the masters as well potentially i'd have to go check i feel like i've seen him in the united states and that would probably be the only place i would have um but it's true yeah regardless a couple great competitors there so that's two more so so far no repeat winners in the tour which means it's they've all got their tickets punched there's three more events left Uh, two of them are going to be in oceana at the end of the year the next one coming up is the Portuguese Adventure Golf Masters. That's November 18th to the 19th, so that's the last European one. So really the chances that you're going to have a lot of people putting up multiple points is dwindling down. So we're going to start to see what that top 36 in points is going to come in, which essentially means we may have more than one person who qualifies from the United States because it looks like Justin Seymour is probably going to get in on points. We'll have to see how third and fourth place for Matterhorn play out because there is the possibility there that they sneak in. So we'll be scoreboard watching a little bit over the next couple months here. Very interesting. Uh, Then we jump over to Arizona. Scottsdale, I believe it's in, uh, is Putting World, where they have a monthly event where they give away uh, $30,000 and if you hadn't heard, Swedes are hanging out in uh, good old Arizona for a little bit. Played the Pop Stroke event back at Glendale. They're going to be playing the Tour Championship at the new Pop Stroke course in Scottsdale. But uh, they played, a bunch of the Swedes played the World Putting Tour event in October. And another no surprise, Kevin Sundstrom, part of the Swedish putting team, one in a playoff with Jacob Stass, who's a local and has been playing really well there. Kevin Sundstrom's had a heck of a year. I think he won three of the City Golf Tour events. He's played well in all of the Pop Stroke events that he has, and he took home ten grand a World Putting Tour. And I think he's in his early twenties. That Swedish putting team, him and Matthias Hogloff and. Alexander Molina, uh, those guys are very young and it's 
the, the Swedes, it's just proof of their system. You have Ricard Lochner and Gunnar Bengtsson and Hans Olofsson, and then you have the three younger players. And when you see what the future is of the top Swedish adventure golfers and golf ball putters, it's not getting any any easier if any if Hans and all those guys hang it up. Those other guys are just going to come to completely uh, take take our lunch and uh, eat it right in front of us because those guys can play. And the great part about it is they're all wonderfully kind human beings, and it's hard not to root for them. And I believe they're going to be playing the November putting tour event. <laughs> Before the Pop Stroke Tour Championship, heck, they might even hang out there till December, just rack up the money, soak up the rays in Arizona before they get to the dark, cold winter of a uh, lovely Sweden. And then that's kind of it for recent events. We were looking up what's coming up for other national stuff. We have the PPA Southwest Putting Tour. That's going to be probably you're going to hear this after the event already happened on October 15th, 14th and 15th. It's a putt-putt course in Tyler that sadly is going away. Um, It's an unfortunate trend that has just been going for a while is that putt-putt courses are just closing up and people are taking the property and putting other stuff on it. And then the Nagic and I probably mispronounced it, putting championship in Chula Vista, California by the National Putting Tour. That's going to be coming up. I believe it's the 28th of October. And then we have two AMA events to close out the year. We have October 21st, the Show Me Putters Tour Championship down in Branson, and then the Putters Course Championship in Newark, Ohio. Sadly, another putt-putt style course that doesn't have the Putt-Putt Fund Center name on it, but that is going to be probably the last event on that course. And it's a real bummer because I know Corey Klotz, who we'd worked with in the AMA to set up this tournament, is a longtime devotee of Putt-Putt. And to lose their home course, like, that's no small thing. That's it's a, it's a huge, huge bummer for everybody that kind of talks about, you know, Putt-Putt's demise. It's it's sad. It's really sad to see these courses go away because these are places that people grew up playing. They have lots of memories on them. And I feel, I feel for them. There's a course near us that was a Goonie golf course that we have this sign in our living room. And I, I just think about, man, how many days during the summer that I could drive 20 minutes to play three different fun courses like that. Like, it would be such a game changer to have that still in town. And I think for people, if you have a local course, don't take it for granted and really get out there and support it however you can and enjoy it as much as you can. Yeah. And, you know, we're by far not putt-putt scholars here, but we hate to see that going. And we've talked a little bit about where they're going, but that was one of the interesting kind of threads of getting a chance to talk to people in the putt-putt community at the Masters. Like you referred to, Kyle, is some of the the rumblings and then the talking and the rumors of like how accelerated some of the demise of these putt-putt courses has been lately and their anticipation. And it's just like kind of a, kind of a negative, you know, vibe hanging over. And you've got, like you talked about Tom, I mean, some of these people probably have 
40 years playing on some of these courses. And so it's a shame to see, and, you know, maybe it will go the way of many brands these days, Toys R Us and, you know, all these other that find a second life through something because it would be a real shame to live in a mini golf world that didn't have any sort of putt-putt presence in it going forward. If I look at the top 10 list of the Masters, other than Olivia, every one of them came up in the putt-putt system. And and the only other one that I have on that list is Pauli from Sweden, who is our one international representative this year. All of the rest of them, I don't think Tim Talley played putt-putt, but I, I, you know, I'm literally going down the list and it's like in the top 20, you are one of three people that didn't grow up in the putt-putt system. And one of them, Olivia, now plays it because her husband, Wade, grew up in that system. And so, I, you know, I don't know, you know, it. no one knows what to do about it. And it's just kind of sad. It's, you know, the franchise has changed hands and Pop Stroke is going to kind of become that new option where it's a more skillful based game that I think the top players are really going to go to. But yeah, that's it's kind of all we have right now. Um if you didn't catch the reference in my intro, it's the movie The Master with Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix. It's an amazing movie that is supposed to be slightly based on sort of the origins of Scientology, but it's it's a wild, wild uh, Paul Thomas Anderson film. If you want to know what I'm all about, you can just follow like any of the references for weird movies and music that I'm making in the intros. Before we go, want to make sure we shout out Walkabout. We mentioned them earlier. You already know that they're our favorite VR game and that we're going to be playing it a ton this winter, but they have a new course coming October 19th called Widow's Walkabout that looks like it's going to be a big old haunted house that you're playing through. And Pat, this is way up I your alley. So like th- I've seen, you know, some of the media and stuff that they put out and like, I-, I have no doubt that after I'm done playing it and I've always wanted to do this, but a real life yeah, version of a mini golf haunted or a haunted house mini golf. Like if I'm going to get that in VR, I'm going to be super, super excited. Yeah. And we are definitely going to be buying it. We've been buying all of the downloadable content for the game. They're incredibly affordable after you buy the base and we can't wait to play it. And thanks again. Walkabout to sponsoring the AMA They made your membership free if you're an AMA member and they've given away some fun prizes this year that I think we'll have a few that will carry over into the new year. So what we thought was going to be a short podcast went a little long, Pat, but uh, what's new? So I'm going to let you wrap her up. Yep. So it's time for Big Thoughts Mini Golf. And as a competitive mini golfer, you know, you're playing partners in tournaments really shouldn't influence how much you play your own game. But as Tom alluded to earlier when he was talking about some of his playing partners, it's really nice when you get to get grouped with people the same vibe. And he listed off his, and and for me, I had the same wonderful experience at the Masters. I got to play with Brandon Davis, David Myers, Joey Balasano, John Lang, and longtime friend of the Penguin, Danny Baddeley. We've been playing together for many years and had some north-south battles and we got paired up the final two rounds and it was just a really excellent 
way to close out that experience. They were all really great pleasure, the chat that was there. And I think most importantly, it was just the support. Every time you hit a good shot, there was fist bumps. And every time you miss something, there was the right amount of encouragement and support of picking up your head and saying, yeah, put it behind you. Let's go to the next one. And, you know, just to, to paraphrase Joey a little bit when he was talking with us after round 10 there, you know, when you're out there, just be nice to everyone when you're playing in these tournaments. It makes that intense competitive time just a much more fun endeavor. So, you know, be nice and be excellent to everyone. And with that, we're at the 19th hole. So until next time, putt one ready.